He looks really good. It finally hit me that Delaware's not just playing to keep it close. Delaware's here to win. But if they're going to really lock down in a game, this would be the one to do it. Overall, I think this is their identity now. There weren't enough things that you and I could say on the broadcast to praise Eric Carter. I do have to put out a formal apology to Darian Bryant. It's over for the Eagles. When you're only better than the Cleveland Browns, you're not very good. This is going to be the Delaware defense like, through and through. If you lose, you're leaving yourself on the bubble with all of these other teams that I would say are just as good as you are. Losing Nicole, that's a big part of what we did a year ago. It's a process, and we need to really lay a strong foundation of who we are as a basketball program. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage Podcast. Hello and welcome to Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD. I'm Brandon Halvek, today joined by Jake Lampert and Parker Kerrigan. A Super Bowl from the Stone Ages, a Super Bowl to forget is the topic of today's show. The Patriots defeat the Rams 13-3. And guys, that has really been the main focus to come out of this game, at least for the neutral parties, given that this was the Super Bowl with the fewest points scored ever, coming off a string of arguably some of the greatest Super Bowl games ever. This game, the Patriots score one touchdown. The Rams score zero. Both teams miss a field goal. The Rams start the game on eight consecutive punts. What do you guys make of it all coming out of it? Less than 24 hours from Super Bowl 53. It was such a letdown coming off of the AFC and NFC championship games which saw a good amount of scoring they went to OT both fourth quarter and the OT were very exciting in both of those games and even though the game was like close and interesting at the end it was just I don't want to see like a combined like 15 punts in a Super Bowl game I liked it partially because the team I was supporting is playing in it but I thought it was a great game I thought defensively was brilliant Now, that is not to make up for the offensive woes for both teams because both of them had uh, very poor offensive showings, but the defense has stepped up, and while it is in the day and age where offense is going to take over and will take over in the next few seasons, it was nice to see a little bit of defense and defense actually win a championship. There was defense in this game, but I'm going to start it off by kind of posing the question, and we'll talk about this later on in the show a little bit more in depth, but I mean... Could you could you have played a worse game at, than Jared Goff did yesterday? I like I know a lot of credit has to go to Brian Flores and to Bill Belichick for devising a game plan unlike what they had been showing through much of the season. Right? They played a lot more zone coverage. They successfully took away the running game early in the game and put it on Jared Goff's shoulders. That's what we talked about on this show, and a lot of other people talked about as one of the ways you could try to attack this Rams offense that throughout the season put up these huge games against a lot of really good teams. But some of, I mean, a lot of that has to come back to Jared Goff just looking absolutely atrocious in this game. I mean, he does, does he make a play? He he throws flat footage short on the interception, which was really their one chance to tie this thing up. At that point, they were only down by a touchdown. He was rattled the whole time. He did get hit a little bit, but there are other times where he was forcing throws or throwing it felt a little bit early before the rush actually got there. Maybe the scheme, the design from Sean McVay wasn't as inventive as it previously was, but that stands out to me as Jared Goff, simply in a Super Bowl where you have to play one of your best games, 
playing his worst game that we've seen. I believe he was 5 for 15 in the first half, and as you mentioned, he threw that brutal interception at the end where that was probably their best scoring opportunity of the entire game, and uh, they were driving. It looked like they had some momentum going on that drive, probably the most they had all game, and he just throws that duck of a ball up, and uh, Stephon Gilmore made the play. Uh, but also, as you said, um, credit the Patriots' defense. They got a lot more pressure on Goff than a lot of people expected. There was a lot of talk about both of these offensive lines being great during the regular season and the postseason, and they both were. Uh, it just proved that um, the New England defensive line was able to overcome the Rams' great offensive line more so than the Rams' D-line was able to overcome the Patriots' offensive line. It was rough for Jared Goff. And there is a lot to be put on him, but and I'm not one to push blame anywhere, but when you look at this game, and if I had to pick the top five players I'd blame, quote-unquote, Jared Goff would probably be four or five. I don't put that much weight on Jared Goff because of Sean McVay, because of Todd Gurley, because of the right side of his offensive line. This, again, does not excuse Jared Goff's play. The interception he threw to Gilmore was one of the worst passes I have seen, and this was in the Super Bowl. Uh, But I am not so ready to fall on Jared Goff because there were a lot of outside factors leading to him. And one of the things that, as we take this NFL season as a whole, that this game ran extremely counter to was that throughout all of this season, and Jake alluded to it, It was all about the offenses. It was all about the quarterbacks. It was the year of Patrick Mahomes. It was the year of this Rams offense with all of their jet motion, running up the score on teams. It all culminated in that 54-51 to game, Chiefs-Rams, middle of the season on Monday night. And at the end of that game, a lot of people loved that game. A lot of other people said, what what happened to defense? It's 54-51. to There has to be something to happen here. And late in the season, a lot of the stronger defenses in the NFL started taking hold. The Patriots' defense played better. The Bears' defense looked formidable. And if they had gotten past the Eagles, who knows what they would have done throughout the playoffs. The Saints did not perform well offensively down the stretch this season, but their defense really carried them through the last portion of the year. And now we see that tide turn a little bit in this game, where the jet motion was not the conversation point when you look at the Rams' offense. It was that... They were left completely helpless by this Patriots defense and their approach. And on the other hand, yes, this is a Patriots team whose offense was slowed a little bit in the regular season, but they just came off a 37-point performance against the Chiefs. They have Tom Brady, Julian Edelman, Rob Gronkowski. They still have the usual folks, and those are the guys who are able to do it in crunch time. But for much of this game, the Rams' defense also was extremely impressive. They held that team to three points at halftime, second-fewest points ever scored at halftime of a Super Bowl game and only gave up the one touchdown drive late in the second half. Yeah, uh, I saw a tweet uh, late last night or early this morning that I thought was very indicative of kind of how the postseason went and how the Super Bowl went, and it read, uh, last night proved that offense sells tickets, but defense wins championships. And I thought that was very true because kind of – Especially going into the champ, uh, the AFC and NFC championship games, a lot of analysts were uh, making a big deal, as they sh- should have, about those 
four teams being the top four scoring offenses in the league. And so the narrative then became, oh, like you don't need a great defense to win a championship anymore. And however, the Super Bowl spun on its head and the defense did win uh, this game. And as you said, Brandon, even the Rams defense, who's going to be overshadowed by the Patriots defense, still played a phenomenal game. Yeah. Like 16 points in this entire game. And uh, in the AFC Championship game, there was 38, I believe, in the fourth quarter alone between the Chiefs and Patriots. So it just goes to show that defense is still a huge part of being successful and especially winning a championship. And I wouldn't go to say that all of a sudden you should start dedicating all of your resources to defense versus offense because there's a reason why those four teams made it to where they were. But you take a little component of that of, okay— Yes, you you can get far and probably further with an elite offense led by an elite quarterback than you can by an elite defense with a subpar offense. But if you can marry an above average to elite offense with at least an average defense or a defense that can play above its head for a couple of games, you think about the Eagles of last year. That was a well-rounded team. They had an offense that could put up 41 points, but defensively, they carried that team down the stretch in the season. A team like the Saints this year was a little bit more balanced than we've seen from some of these teams, yet they were still one of the greatest four offenses of the league this in the league this season. Um, but that's also something that we talked about, too, going back to the AFC Conference Championship game. Came in here a couple of days after that game. Jake and I both agreed that was the Super Bowl, and that held true in this game. I think if the Chiefs played this Rams team, Yes, the Rams would have scored a lot more because that Chiefs defense was not nearly as good as this Patriots defense proved to be. But, I mean, it would have been a little bit more interesting. You'd have Patrick Mahomes is going to score more than 13 points against that Rams defense. Uh, but it really came down to, okay, they got the Patriots got it done. That was the close game. That was the real test a couple weeks ago. And then they came in here and they whooped the behinds of this Rams team. Everything just went according to plan. This was a, a full game plan. Sean McVay said he got out coached, and while it wasn't pretty, uh, every play was calculated. Every play was uh, supposed to happen uh, in Bill Belichick terms. But when I was looking back at this game and I was talking to a lot of my friends, and one of my friends texted me and said, uh, congratulations on the Patriots winning the most boring Super Bowl ever. And I kind of just took a step back and thought about it, like, is this the most boring Super Bowl ever? And then I realized like, it is to some people because they wanted this— 50 touchdown Patrick Mahomes. They wanted Drew Brees throwing 55-yard bombs to Michael Thomas. And while it's not what they expected, if a team wanted more defense, and I was listening to Trey Wingo this morning, and Trey Wingo was like, this was one of the best Super Bowls I've ever watched. Like, this was a defensive battle, and I really loved every part of it. So both sides of the coin are true, but if regardless of which side you believe, you watched the game and you saw how great the Patriots are and the budding of the Rams, not quite here yet, but in one, two, three years, the Rams will be back and be able to hopefully do better than this year. Well, we'll pick apart all of those things. We'll both go back and look through a few of the previous Super Bowls and see how this one stacks up, as well as dig into the makings of this Patriots dynasty and what to make of what lies ahead for the Rams and for the Patriots as we race set here on Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD. This is now six Super Bowls in the Brady Belichick era. By far the most dominant stretch by a single team over the course of the last, whatever it is, 17, 18, 19 years by these two. And even if you narrow it down to the last three years, now three straight Super Bowl appearances and two championships. This one 
um, you know, they probably were the better team coming into the game, and, and they handle business, and it comes down to, like we mentioned before, the usual suspects in Julian Edelman, who wins MVP with 10 catches over 140 receiving yards, and Rob Gronkowski with the big catch on the lone touchdown drive of this game. I didn't think Tom Brady was great. He was better than Jared Goff, but his quarterback rating QBR was still below 30. It was not a great game from Tom Brady, but at the end of the day, they, they know how to win in multiple ways, and that's been a theme of the last couple of years as this Patriots franchise continues to adapt and adjust and become multiple when it needs to be, and they do it again this season. I don't think Tom Brady needed to be great, and it kind of ties into yeah, what you I mean, were saying. Yeah, they're the better team. You don't need to be. If your defense is holding the opposing team to three points, you you can throw for 250 yards and no touchdowns. That's fully serviceable. I mean, last year, Blake Bortles against the Steelers – it was Blake Bortles who won that game. He did not have a great game, but when your defense holds a team to three points, you can do what you want. But I will say this. The discrepancy between Tom Brady's play and Jared Goff's play probably means a lot more now than it will in a few years, in a few months, we should even say. Because we're looking at this and we, we're seeing Tom Brady's play, we're seeing Jared Goff's play, the interceptions, uh, Jared Goff was much worse. Yeah. Brady's got tipped by Chris Hogan and then uh, fell into the round. Yeah, that was, I mean, it wasn't a great pass, but right. it wasn't, it, it was not it nearly as bad. but it wasn't an interception. Yeah, as, as Goff's was. A few months from now, we're going to stop, look at this, and say Jared Goff played on the biggest stage. He played okay, not great. I would say Jared, Jared Goff, like, wet the bed. I wouldn't <laughs> say, I don't, I don't think yeah. the stage was too big, I would, too I big for him. Pre- I don't not, think he was prepared, I'm not but sure I don't think it, he was. I don't. I'm not sure if it was a thing of the stage being too big. I just think he had a bad game. He, he, you could chalk maybe part of it up to the stage being too big, but whatever factors you want to contribute to it, like I don't think he even played okay. He played bad. He played. We well when we get to the Rams, there were the factors that I put above him all hinder Jared Goff's performance. So true. I don't he think, didn't have a lot working for him. No, he had nothing working for him, nor did he have help both on the field and off the field on the sidelines and the headsets. So right. we'll get to Jared Goff. If if everything else was going well for him, and that was the game he posted, total bedwetter. And, and that's been the thing with Goff, I think, is that he has had everything built around him go well right. through those 13 it's wins. It's not. As soon as... You take Todd Gurley basically out of that offense, and we'll talk about that because that's a huge factor in this game. As soon as Sean McVay, as he said, his words outcoached completely by Bill Belichick in this game, extremely conservative play calling and decision making early on in this game when it was still, I mean, the whole time it was close, not even just at the beginning of this game. When that stuff cracks against him, the difference is that Tom Brady can throw that early interception and you know there's no phasing him. And Jared Goff gets knocked down a couple of times. It comes down to him, and he's not as good as Tom Brady. Simply put, he's not the guy at this point in his career who can take you down the field and put together a crunch time drive when everything else hasn't been working for you. And Tom Brady did that against the Chiefs. And he did it, you know, wasn't quite the last second drive, but he did it when this game was 3-3 to against the Rams. And that's why he's the GOAT, and Jared Goff still has a long way to go. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage Podcast. What did you guys think of the halftime show last night? Maroon 5, Travis Scott, Big Boy. SpongeBob. SpongeBob. I only like the SpongeBob part. I don't think 
anything was good about that halftime show, personally. I thought it was better than I expected it to be. Well, what did, you, what did you expect okay. it to be? That's fair. Because if you were expecting it to be, like, basement level, I would agree it's better than yeah, expectations. It was, I, it, I didn't have very high expectations for it, but, like, yeah, kind of to your point, it was better than garbage. It was better than garbage. And so, <laughs> yeah, like, when better. I when I was telling people that well, I... Glowing endorsement here from Parker Carey. Exactly. Well, <laughs> it was better than dark. Well, I, I, like, tweeted that it was better than I expected, and one of my friends immediately uh, added, like, old takes exposed, like, with my tweet. <laughs> and so I answered with, well, 2 out of 10 is better than 1 out of 10, so... Yeah, yeah I, and that's kind of... They didn't go for, like, a big, glamorous, like, glitzy thing. And with they lights. played their songs. If you like their music, you enjoyed it to some extent. If you're not a big Maroon 5 fan, they didn't give you much else to, like, cling on to. So I'm a really big old Maroon 5 fan. Their, like, first album, Songs About Jane, was, like, one of my favorites growing up. So I really liked when they performed... Uh, she will be loved. Yeah, uh, I thought the Travis Scott and Big Boy parts were just so awkwardly put in. Big Boy just got forced. thrown in. Like, yeah, yeah, Tra- so... Travis Scott at least put it together, and it seemed like it was planned. But Big Boy just rolling up in a car, like <laughs> that was so funny. There's just no reason for that. That was probably the most unfitting yeah. add in. That I mean, we're talking about seamless transitions like Bruno Mars and Beyonce, like the dance off that they had on the field. Like there yeah. have been some really good transitions and that one just doesn't make Lady fun. Gaga coming in from the ceiling jumping off of the Super Bowl roof that in Houston yeah. yeah that was good I like that uh, but it, it was okay uh, but big news out of all that Spongebob made it in to the halftime show it's all I ever wanted I was very disappointed though that when they like when they introduced Travis Scott they did that clip and there had been rumors like swirling that Maroon Five might perform that song, uh, "Sweet, Sweet Victory." V- Victory. And when they did that, I don't know if a bunch of people picked up on this, but the drumline that was in the halftime show too, their uniforms were like very closely resembled the SpongeBob uniforms. So all those signs, I was like, "Oh, they're definitely going to end with Sweet Victory," and they didn't. So it's a bad halftime show. You're listening to Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD. I'm Brandon Halvek with Jake Lampert and Parker Kerrigan. So, Jake, give me the, the rundown here of factors that contributed to the Rams, not only their loss, but why they missed missed expectations in this game, particularly offensively. Defensively, I think we'd all agree, excellent game plan, excellent performance by the defense. Wait, offensively, Phillips is just smart. Yeah, offensively complete disaster to score three points in the Super Bowl. Sean McVay's number one. Sean McVay's packages, Sean McVay's play calling, it was bad. It just it just really wasn't good. Two is the left right if you're if you're Jared Goff, the right side yeah, of your offense. Right guard, line. right tackle. Uh Andrew Whitworth was good enough over there at, at the left tackle position, but he got pretty beat up on the right side of his line. The third is Todd Gurley. I mean, we get a search party for 21 touchdowns in the regular season. The most dan- we can all agree and statistics agree that he is the most dangerous back in open space. Gone. Todd Gurley is not real. And then I'd put Jared Goff and his playmaking ability. But those three and those three stacking on top of each other, because if you don't have a line, even if you had Todd Gurley, it wouldn't matter. And even if you had Todd Gurley in a line and Sean McVay doesn't call it correctly, so all those stacking together, those are probably the tier list that I would do for blame for the Rams. 
My comment about Gurley is when he got touches, he had a few solid runs, and he's like always been kind of like a volume guy. You gotta get him touches because like any one touch he could break for forty yards. Yeah, he's usually a five six carry for five six yards. And then that next one, he's gone. Exactly. And then he'll go back to five, so he's six a carries, volume six guy. You got to get him touches. And when he only gets ten touches, like he did have a few good runs, but just not enough. And I don't really think they got him involved in the passing game at all. I don't too. think he got any catches. So Hit I one short catch. I would I would put Gurley kind of low on the blameless, although he still deserves some blame. I, and I guess that comes most, to to the coaching staff, right? Michael, if yeah. he's not in the game, getting those opportunities, it's not his fault. Uh, It it comes to Sean McVay to answer the question, why is Todd Gurley not getting touches? Now, part of the equation in a lot of people's eyes is health. He was banged up at the end of the season. He said he was fine. But but official injury report for the Super Bowl did not have any players from either team. So to me, you either lied on the injury report, which is against the rules, and the Patriots, of all people, have been um, disciplined for that in the past, or you performed negligence as a coaching staff to not put your top offensive player in a position to succeed. 10 carries, 35 yards. Parker, you mentioned it. He did get going a little bit on that drive that ends in the Cooks interception. Their one drive where they get into plus territory where it looks like they have a chance of not only kicking a field goal but getting into the end zone for the first time. It was a similar story in the conference championship against the Saints where he had four carries for 10 yards. They get bailed out in that game, quite frankly. They deserve to to win in some respects because they are the team who puts together the score at the end, but no doubt they are given a second life by that call not being made late in the game in that one. And it seemed like they didn't learn their lesson in regards to Cod Curley in this game. The thing that bothers me the most is his press conference at the end. And this is in no way to blame Todd Gurley for what he was saying. But first of all, when you lose a Super Bowl, you're supposed to be kind of grim. I mean, we've seen Cam yeah. Newton, Andrew Whitworth said pretty much verbatim, we all die. It doesn't matter what you do. Y'all going to die in the end. And Todd Gurley's press conference. I, I hate to laugh, but there are a lot of just good takes on that quote online yeah. after the game. Like a story I wrote from Yahoo Sports is a column about the game. And the guy, the writer had the, the opinion that, you know, this is a boring game. And the tweet with the story was just, yeah, so we're all going to die eventually. Yeah, I, like, <laughs> Don't worry about it. That's the grimness of a Super Bowl. Jared Goff seemed visually upset. As he should be. Right. And when Todd Gurley went up there, he was just sitting pretty, and the reporter was like, so how you doing? He's like, yeah, I'm all good. I'm I'm feeling great. It was a really great day. Uh, I mean, there's 11 guys on the field. Not everyone can touch the ball. And I was like, well, first of all, Todd, (laughs) rules-wise, 11 men can't touch unless they all register. (laughs) Second of all, you just had 11 total touches for 34 yards, and he's like, yeah, I'm all good. Like, he's, he's he's almost showing everybody that this wasn't his fault, that the Rams are, like, right. sitting him out. Like, after the Super Bowl, after, what, 18 games, 19 games played in a season? Right. You should be, like, begging to get that done so you can go sit in the ice bath right. because your body aches because you got pounded even if time he says after that, time. He's like, yeah, I got to go. I'm, I'm done. Or even if <laughs> But, he, yeah, it like, seems says like it's fine. To the reporters, like, yeah, I'm mad I didn't get these touches because through all that, the Rams giving you tl- – 21 uh, scrimmage touchdowns, leads all the NFL in the running back position, leads the NFL in total. Uh, and then just to come out and sit there, that looks awful for the team. 
not only Gurley, but McVeigh. And I know it's not Jared Goff's decision on what plays get called, but it looks bad on the entire offense that Todd Gurley couldn't get going. And I don't think that press conference really helped. It's a bad visual, but at the same time, I don't think it would be good at all if he kind of took the path of, like, I should have gotten the ball more. Like, is that what I Rams think fans, Rams no, you, yeah, you players, don't, you don't upstate your organization, coach. Right. Yeah. you don't upstate. Maybe maybe in, like, a month in the offseason when he gets asked about it, then I'd say, like, if you want to be candid and say, hey, I think that McVay should have gotten me the ball more, fine. But I think, like, Or even one of those things removed, where you're, like, I'm a football player. Every football player wants to touch the ball. Yeah. I think yeah, I could help yeah. the team win. He should have made They decided that. not to right. go to me. That's coach's decision. Like, you know, I CJ's, CJ's been great. Jared's been great. But I think I could help the team win. If it was Rex Burkhead in that same position, he has no right to say any of that. But 21 touchdowns, the highest paid running back, and the best running back in football. Yeah. You've pretty much earned the right to talk about yourself in the game. Let's go to McVeigh on this. You put him atop the the blame for this loss. And obviously, coming into the Super Bowl, the whole talk was 66-year-old Bill Belichick or whatever he is versus 33-year-old Sean McVeigh. And how this is the youngest, hip, the guy everybody's trying to hire. Literally, the Cardinals put in their press release when they hire Cliff Kingsbury that he's friends with Sean McVay as a qualification for why he should be their head coach. That's not a stretch. Now you probably rush and say, oh, I don't know that guy. You know, the guy yeah. who scored three points in the Super Bowl? I don't know him. Yeah, I love football. Phone, not him. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, what does this say about what he's done so far in his two years here? He's 13-3 and three this year, 11-5 and five the year before. Last year, they go one and out in the playoffs. This year, they beat Dallas. They beat the Saints. Then they lose this game to the Patriots. You know, what? Where does he stand after two years? In my mind, this doesn't this doesn't like knock him or like hurt his standing right. in my mind at least. Like he had a bad game. He the lights were probably a little too bright. Um, and he had a bad game was a lot less creative, as we already mentioned, with the offense. Um, I don't think his game management was that bad. I mean, it never got out of hand, and he honestly didn't have that many big choices to make as far as game management anyway. The only one that I'd point out was early in the game, Patriots 43-yard line, 4th and 3. And they bring Mm, the punting unit out, and they end up taking a delay of game against the Patriots from the 43 when you're, you know, you flip the field 30 yards, but the Patriots can get that right back. Like, I'm putting my offense on the field. I'm picking up the first down. Yeah, especially because you're Sean McVay. That's what you do. Well, you no, have he, Hacker do it. He doesn't, he doesn't call aggressive fourth down decision-making. Special teams-wise, Dave Taub, yes, they're aggressive in faking it, but I'm putting Jared Goff and Todd Gurley on the field there. But that was just kind of the one situation. There wasn't a whole lot in this game compared to like a defining game moment like we saw in the conference championship where they kicked the field goal instead of the touchdown, which maybe could have held a little bit more weight. But you were, you were saying. Yeah. Um, I, no, I totally agree with that there. Um, and, I mean, Sean McVay, he's going to – he strikes me as a super hard worker, and he's going to have a chip on his shoulder after the, after getting outcoached in his own words. He admitted in his press conference, which I thought was probably the best part of his game was his post-game press conference. He was very, like, humble in defeat and gave credit to Bill Belichick and said how he needs to uh, work better and for these big moments in uh, coaching. But, um, 
I I totally predict the Rams being back, making a postseason run next year. Uh, won't go as far to say they'll be in the Super Bowl again, but I do not see the Rams falling off at all under Sean McVay. The line, and I, mean, I know I'm picking out of everything you just had, Parker, but and we talked about it before, of the lights being too bright for them. I don't think it was because they have nothing to prove. I mean, they are a team doing the brand new style of offense that we really haven't seen too much in the playoffs. So they're not being scrutinized as much because they're not doing throwing 55 touchdowns like Patrick Mahomes is, or they're not having a slow, methodical offense like a Tom Brady. So they're kind of in that weird middle where we can look at them and say their offense isn't good. I think there's some people would say they haven't won the big game yet. I think right, but that's it's why, early that's in why... McVay's career, so I don't think it's this army that's attacking him. But right. I think they're people like that's what they have to prove is that Jared Goff and Sean McVay, that partnership, can win a big game. Well, and they, also, they got there; they've won big games to get the, there. Well, I and you could say they, the pass interference, though. I was about yeah. to say I think the thing they had to prove most was that they deserve to be in that game because, as Brandon keeps mentioning, they were given a second life because of that call. So in a lot of people's minds, they're saying, oh, the Saints should be in the Super Bowl. So the thing they had to prove was that they belonged in that game, and they didn't really make a good argument. Along that line, and we don't, we've don't, we already beat the pass interference call to a pulp, but after the pass interference call, they still forced an interception out of Drew Brees, and they right. still had right. the yes, defensive yeah. play to get them to where they were supposed to be. But with all of that said, this was a trip that the Rams needed. Even winning one playoff game was something that the Rams needed because after last year, they needed to prove that this team can win. Yeah, It's going to be interesting to see how they bounce back. I don't think regression is an issue because most of their contracts are pretty steady. But the only problem is should they not do it, I think that the world's going to come tumbling down on them and everyone's going to not jump off the bandwagon but maybe tell themselves – Oh, well, the Rams did it twice, but they can't do it again. They lost the Patriots. They got the pass interference call. Maybe we shouldn't keep running up on the Rams like we normally are. The big question in the offseason is do you extend Jared Goff or not? He has this coming year plus one more, um, but this is kind of the territory where you start talking about a contract extension. It'll be brought up with Carson Wentz, who has taken a spot after him in that same draft over with the Eagles. But the core of this team, Aaron Donald, Todd Gurley, Brandon Cooks, Robert Woods, they're all locked in. And they'll have decisions to make with LaMarcus Joyner and Adamican Sue. But ultimately, we expect this team to look largely the same as it did this season compared to next season. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Rob Gronkowski was asked after the game if this did anything to sway his mind as far as retirement. He said, the decision will be made in the next week or two, but wanted to celebrate that night with his teammates that he was going to get celebrated with Bill, so that would be a little interesting for him. doesn't seem like Tom Brady will be hanging it up just quite yet. said well before this game to ESPN's Jeff Darlington and to multiple other reporters that regardless of whether his Patriots won or lost the Super Bowl, he'd be back, so expect more of Tom Brady. Question marks maybe about the McGordy twins in the secondary. Could they think about hanging it up as well? Uh, but guys, as we look at this Patriots team, both this season winning their sixth Super Bowl in a year that admittedly not everybody considered them to be the top dog going into the playoffs and even into the latter stages of the playoffs, taking that plus the view of this team moving forward, what what do we make of 
this Patriots dynasty, this iteration, and then what we can expect for the future iterations of the Patriot dynasty and how long it can go. My friend texted me. All he said was 10 with a question mark. And, and Parker's frustrated. This is just my friend texted me. I'll give you Corey's number. You can. You don't even know what happened after it, but Parker's already angry. And he said 10 question marks. He's mark. angry with the smile on his face. It's a good— uh... And what I said to him when I was, that's absurd. 10 rings, which means he wins his next four rings, which means he'll be 45, which means he ring, wins every Super Bowl for the seasons he played after that. Well, there, there, there's, no, there's no limit to 45 right. now. Crazier things TB12, baby. It could be 51 out here but and after still going he said for those that, 10. And I was like, that's ridiculous. He said, what's reasonable? And I was like, if they get eight, I wouldn't be shocked. Because we are in a time where as long as they're on the field, there's a chance. And Brandon kind of put it in different terms there. He said, "Who? where's the limit? Like, 51 could be when Tom Brady's still playing. That's not realistic, but these players can keep playing. You want to bet on it, but it could happen. These players can sure. keep playing as long as they want, as long as they win. Winning is the root cause of everything. And if these players are healthy, they're going to keep playing. So the future may not look bright, but there's at least a future there that we can see something happening. My reaction was a combination of if they get 10, me along with every other non-New England fan will just quit watching the game of yeah. football. If they got that 10, would be, that would be a little... That would be rip out my hair frustrating if they won that many. But also, it's the fact that Patriots fans are that greedy after seeing so many He's Super Bowls. He's not a Patriots fan. Okay, but just the fact that 10 is even brought up or that anyone is entertaining that idea, just, just to me, is all that is wrong with Boston fans, and that's why I hate them. And He's not a Boston fan, and I wasn't entertaining it. Did you just talk for two minutes about it? That's I said that's ridiculous. Anyway, I said ten. I'm not entertaining. I'm I said going, it wasn't to, a, I'm a going to acknowledge that I am. I irrationally hate the Patriots, so that's my frustration, and I admit it is irrational. But I'm going to speak for a lot of just common NFL fans and saying that that would be bad for the NFL if the Patriots then like won like three out of the next four, and Tom Brady kept playing for like ever and ever. And the th- the thing about that is that. It, it is a game in which luck plays a factor in these postseason runs, but it could also be heavily noted that you could generate your own luck, if you will. Like last year, Eagles win the Super Bowl. A lot of things happen to get to, just to that game, let alone winning that game. You have to have the strip sack at the right time. Brandon Cooks gets knocked out by Malcolm Jenkins. Does that make a difference late in the game for the Patriots offense, that sort of thing? This Patriots team this year, you know, they get some matchups that their defense was well suited to handle. And is that a, a factor of, you know, getting the right matchup that suits them or their defense being malleable to anything that they see coming? Probably more so to the credit of the defense, but a little bit of both. They've been able to do it now so long, though, that it like it, it cuts away at that. So for like the Saints to win a Super Bowl for the Eagles to win it this year, the Rams. You felt like they just needed some things to just go their way. For the Patriots now, it's almost like they don't even really, like, like the, some teams get cleared out of their way. Like, you could say, okay, maybe the Saints, the Eagles, the Bears give them a better run in this Super Bowl game. But they had to beat the Chiefs on the road at Airhead, and they just somehow find a way to do it. And when you do it six times now in the span that they have, 
in a game that is so difficult to keep a core together because one hit and a centerpiece of your team could be, his career could be over or significantly altered. It's just like the status quo. It doesn't even like register, I think, in my eyes as, as anything different. It's just this is the Patriots. They did it again. Six, like if nobody else grabs a hold of something, like if the Chiefs don't have a better defense next year or the Rams are a little more aggressive and use their best player on offense, if nobody else like grabs at it, it's like the Patriots are just going to win. Like you got to be aggressive and go beat the Patriots because they're not going to beat themselves. I guess that's what it boils down to, that whole three minutes or whatever. Like, they're going to be there for however long that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are with the Patriots. For the longest time, it's been just whoever can give the Patriots the best run for their money in any given year. And I think that's still the case. And um, yesterday after the game... um, Odds came out for like next year's Super Bowl favorites, and the Chiefs were the favorite. Like their odds Probably were rightfully so. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think I would. I would say the Patriots are the f- favorite every year that they still have Brady and. I Belichick. think we know it in our minds that that's probably true, mm-hmm. but betters and sports books probably feel differently. We us as fans see the Patriots to do it I got on the betting books. Yeah, they're gonna pick the Chiefs, the Saints, the Rams. Statistically over the and hard numbers wise, you're saying the Chiefs make and it's, more it's sense. almost like right. the but Chiefs a, have a, a higher ceiling. You could, there's probably yeah. five or six teams that have a higher ceiling next year than the Patriots. But who's no one has a higher floor? Yeah, than the whose floor Patriots is higher have. than the Patriots? Nobody's. No that's why it's like okay, maybe their chances of winning the Super next year are twenty percent. Is anybody better than that at this point? Like you have to be aggressive and take hold and and really go after the Patriots because again they're not going to beat themselves in these types of games. NFL's preseason power rankings just released. They have the Patriots at four. They have the Rams at one, Chiefs at two, Saints at three, Patriots at four, and the Chargers to round out the top five. I don't know if I would. I wouldn't change those five teams. I would change the order, but I wouldn't change the top five teams. Probably, yeah. I would. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Patriots 13, Rams 3. The Pats take their sixth Super Bowl championship, all in the Brady Belichick era. But yesterday's MVP was Julian Edelman for the first time. 10 catches, a little over 140 yards. Was consistently their kind of one guy who was working. They did get the long pass to Gronk late. Got Michelle going a little bit late, but it was Julian Edelman that took. The attention of the Rams' defense, and he was named MVP. But in a game where they're 16 points scored, does feel like the kind of one scenario, the one opportunity to for once reward a defensive player with that award. What say you guys? I personally would have given it to Stephon Gilmore, the corner for the Patriots. Uh, He had a phenomenal game. He had three pass breakups, one forced... Fumble, one interception, and five tackles on the day. And as you said, Brandon, only 16 points in the game, and the MVP doesn't even go to the one touchdown scorer in the game. I just thought this was as good of opportunity as any to give uh, Gilmore the MVP. If I had to pick an MVP that was not Julian Edelman, I think Julian Edelman was the most deserving, it would probably be Matt Slater. He pinned two kicks, 
within the five, three kicks within the ten that overlapping with the two within the five. He had tackles left and right. He is the most underrepresented Patriot. He's been their captain, their their coin toss guy for years, and they, they trust him just as much as they trust any other player in, on that team. If I had to pick somebody, it would be Slater. I was talking to Parker about before this on Gilmore, and Gilmore got beat on a few runs, but he also made pretty much game-changing plays with the interception and the block. Uh, and then another name that I would have to throw in the hat is the punter. Well, that's that's to me. That if is the Rams the, won it. That's the matchup of this game. It is Ryan Allen of Johnny Hecker, the New England Patriots versus Johnny Hecker of the Los Angeles Rams. Allen and Hecker both walked on at Oregon State years ago, yep. had a punting battle for the job. Johnny Hecker wins it. Ryan Allen ends up leaving, punts elsewhere. They both make it to the NFL, and they duel once again on the league's largest stage, and Ryan Allen comes out victorious, but in the long list of records, mostly 65. bad. The one good record set in this game was 65 the 65-yard yard punt. The punt plus bounce and spin and roll by Johnny Hecker was in boot. the ultimate battle of flipping the field. I mean, if you love flipping the field, this was the game for you because these teams flipped it back and forth. That was one of the craziest kicks I've seen because it landed flat side. Normally when it fl- lands flat side, you get a few rolls, and then it kind of just dies. But that landed flat side and just flew off that first It probably rolled, what, bounce. like 20 yards? Probably at least 20 yeah. yards on the ground. Yeah. And you can watch Edelman, who was the supposed to be return man. He was like, all right, I'll let it bounce. Well, and it was too short. It was yeah, short. Once, so, like, once he, it he bounces, couldn't even get to it. Yeah. He kind of just looks at it, and you, you just have see to him put go. his head down and just run away. Like, that's one opportunity where you just kind of— Take your helmet off, wave it to Hecker, and call it a day. Because 65 – did Pat McAfee do a call on that? Of course he did. Okay, i got to watch that because I'm <laughs> sure that was just as electric as the kick itself. Pat McAfee, of course, the former Colts punter, was on with Barstool for a little while. Now he's doing his own thing. The uh, number one enthusiast of special teams play, so I'm sure he was pumped about Hecker and Allen. This is Blue End Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD with Parker Kerrigan, Jake Lampert, and Brandon Halbeck. Let's take a quick trip down memory lane. So I'm going to give you guys the 10 most recent Super Bowls, including this one, and I want you guys to rank... I want you to give me three things. I want to give you to give me the one that you enjoyed most, the one that you think objectively was the best game, whatever that means to you. So, you know, maybe if it wasn't your team necessarily, but it was just the best quality game, and then which was the worst quality game, again, objectively to you. So if your team... At a heartbreaking loss, that doesn't necessarily qualify. So we have this Super Bowl 53, Rams-Patriots, Patriots 13-3, fewest points ever scored in a Super Bowl. Last year, Super Bowl 52, Eagles 41, Patriots 33, most yards ever in a Super Bowl matchup. Nick Foles, 347 passing yards, three touchdowns, a receiving touchdown. Tom Brady, over 500 passing yards, the most ever in a Super Bowl Philly special among the signature plays, but plenty of other memorable ones. Eagles get their first Super Bowl championship. Super Bowl 51, Patriots trail 28-3 against the Atlanta Falcons. Largest comeback in Super Bowl history. Tied up at 28, go to overtime. James White touchdown, they win at 34-28. to That's Super Bowl number five for the Patriots. Now going back to Super Bowl 50. 
Broncos 24, Panthers 10, the swan song for Peyton Manning. Defense, if you like defense, that was a good game. Both teams possessing really good defenses. The Panthers 14-2, and most wins in their franchise history, come up short against the Broncos. Super Bowl 49, Patriots 28, Seahawks 24. That's the should-have-handed-it to Marshawn Lynch on the one-yard line. Malcolm Butler comes up with the interception, and the Patriots win. Super Bowl 48, Seahawks 43, Broncos 8. Peyton Manning with the high-flying offense completely held in check by the Legion of Boom. Seahawks all over the Broncos. Super Bowl 47, Ravens uh, 49ers 34-31. Good game. Only thing I really remember about it, honestly, is that the lights went off at the Superdome. With Ray Lewis, oh, yeah. yeah oh, Super Bowl looked, 46, Giants 21, Patriots 17. That's the second Giants upset over the Patriots in the Super Bowl. 45, Packers 31, Steelers 25. Aaron Rodgers' lone Super Bowl victory. Super Bowl 44, Saints 31, Colts 17. That's Drew Brees' Tracy Porter, big pick six. But uh, Peyton Manning coming up short, finally got over that narrative with a championship that we talked about a moment ago. And then Super Bowl 43, Steelers 27, Cardinals 23. That's the Kurt Warner, Anquan Bolden, Larry Fitzgerald team versus Roethlisberger and Santonio Holmes with the catch in the corner. You also have the big sideline James ever. Harrison fumble recovery for a touchdown. And then we'll throw in Super Bowl 42 because it's a good one. Giants 17, Patriots 14. Patriots come into it 17-0 looking to become the first ever 18-0 team. The Giants were the sixth seed. David Tyree catch. Plexico Burris with the game-winning touchdown from Eli Manning to knock off the Pats, who that season had Randy Moss, high-flying. Brady set a bunch of records. And you should... This was interesting. Somebody brought this up this week, something I was listening to. Wes Welker never won a Super Bowl. He was right. a big part of that 07 team. He never won a Super Bowl, despite all of the Patriots wins. So all of those, going back through time, give me your favorite... The best objectively and the worst objectively of the last, I guess, 11 Super Bowls. You go, you kick it off. I'm All right. So, uh, for number one, my personal favorite one, probably that 2007 uh, Giants upset over the Patriots. One, because the Patriots lost and didn't get the undefeated season. Two, my dad's a huge Giants fan. So, to see him get that win and be all excited for that. Also, probably the best Super Bowl play of all time in that Eli Manning, David Tyree. I'm really glad you called it play. Because when people yeah. call, say, catch, it's my Eli skin boils. The pocket. My skin yeah. boils. But no, when people yeah, say just, play, I was like, because there's no reason play. Eli Manning should be standing after no. that. It was it was just the whole, every part of that play was just so... And the catch was you great. Couldn't Let me believe just put it. that out yeah, there. Yeah. The catch was it's, great. yeah, it's not that play without the catch, right. but, yeah. but Manning is a part of it. Exactly. It, it, that was just like one of the most jaw-dropping plays I've ever seen in that game. So that's my personal favorite one. Worst one? You, oh, oh I'm doing all three? Yeah. At the same time? All right. Then uh, the best objectively, I'd say, was last year's. The Eagles-Patriots, just high-flying offense, um, fake, uh, like the, the Philly special, the... Pass to Tom Brady that ended up not working, but like just uh, there were so many aspects of that game were just so exciting to watch, so cool. And then uh, worst probably the um, Seattle blowout of Denver, just because it was not very exciting to watch. It was a complete dominating performance. I would say uh, 
personal best was Patriots over Falcons. It was the twenty-eight cra- to three craziest half hour, forty minutes of my <laughs> sporting life. Um, Justifiably so. Best one. Best one ab- with or without my team. I want to say that game because it was the greatest Super Bowl comeback. Ever. It was a great game. I mean, it was um, an amazing game. If I wasn't going to pick that one, I would probably pick. I probably pick Broncos over Panthers because that game was another defensive game, but it was so crazy to see the Broncos D handle Cam Newton. That was Cam's MVP season. That was when not a single human being could stop Cam Newton and the offense. And just to see the Broncos and Von Miller put it to a stop, and Peyton Manning did not play well. It was a defensively carried game. That was probably one of the best games. Uh, Worst one... Uh, yeah, I mean the Seahawks winning forty three to eight is no fun for anybody unless you're a Seahawks. Does fan. anybody know who Malcolm Smith is? Yeah, he he had the okay. ninety nine yard interception return, and he was the last. I'm, I'm watching him as defensive the, player. I'm watching him as the MVP. Like MVP, yeah. Like who the heck is Malcolm Smith? He was, he was MVP of that forty three to eight Seahawks Broncos mm-hmm. game. He had a, the ninety nine yard interception return and a couple other plays, but his biggest one was the pick six. So that would probably be tw- the Patriots 28-3 comeback and uh, the Seahawks-Broncos as the worst one for me. For me, the best one is my team winning their first championship, Eagles over Patriots. And I'm going to go with that as the best game, too, because both teams were so aggressive. The offenses both showed up entirely. You had the greatest offensive performance of all time by Tom Brady and then Nick Foles' Super Bowl MVP. Uh, just an amazing game. Close honorable mention is the comeback from the year before. We got I mean, we got two historically great Super Bowls back-to-back. The worst one might be this game. I mean, as far as entertainment value, you had Pure to watch this one value. to the end. This one was more interesting. But, like, the Seahawks, at least, it felt really deserved to win. Like, Not that the Patriots didn't deserve to win, but, like, they grabbed hold of that game and just dominated. So at least one team had a single, like, all-around good performance where the Patriots had one unit, well, two units, got to get love special teams. But they had two units play really well, and the, the offense was not great. So I'm tempted to take this year's game as objectively the worst, but I guess that Seahawks-Broncos like, you could have turned it off in the fourth quarter and know who won with the Super Bowl. Yeah, it felt like this game, no one won it. It's just the Patriots didn't lose it or, like, they backed into the win. Um, and and comparatively, Seattle just grabbed the bull by the horns and didn't give Denver a chance at all. So, yeah, I'd say either one of those games are deserving of worst in the last 11 Super Bowls that we mentioned. You're listening to Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD. Running a little low on time, but I just want quick quick thoughts on the weekend of Delaware basketball. Starting first with the men's team. That drops two straight on the road at Elon, at William & Mary. They now kind of right back down to the middle of the CAA. They're going to have to battle for position after those two road losses. I'll go to you first, Jake. I'm done talking about Delaware men's basketball. We were a week early. We were, we were If we so held on for one on more week. We were talking about... Potentially getting uh, a share of second place in the CAA or outright winning second place in the CAA. And then they do that against Elon. I watched the play, the shot that Sebring hit. Game winner. 
two Delaware players ran into each other at the top of the key. It It was just, mm, I'm not talking about Delaware men's basketball. But the women's basketball team, they're turning it around. Hey, now. There's been some good news for them. No one's saying they're a JMU, but we're probably going to be one of the better middle-of-the-pack teams in the CAA. We Last year, we were probably the worst, best top-tier team in the CAA. This year, I think we're one of the best middle-tier teams in the CAA. If I told you, I'll go to you quick, Parker, but following up on what Jake said, if I told you two weeks ago, not even that long, two weeks, 14 days ago, that we would sit here on February 4th and the women's basketball team would have a better winning percentage than the men's basketball team in CAA play. How crazy would you have thought I was? Insane. <laughs> I did not did not see this weekend coming at all. Uh, after the two weekends ago, after the two home wins by the women's basketball team, it looked like, hey, they might be able to turn this CAA season around, but by no means did I expect them to win four in a row and now be over 500 in the CAA just as much as I didn't expect the men's team to just wet the bed on the road to two, three, and six teams going into the weekend. Who wet the bed harder, Delaware men's basketball Delaware men's or basketball. Sean McVay? I don't even care what you were going to say Ooh. after that. Delaware men's basketball had absolutely no they business. They scored more than three points. They had absolutely no business losing it's to true. Elon or losing to William Mary. The Rams losing to the Patriots at least can, can make sense depending on however you look at it. But Delaware losing to Elon and William and Mary, I don't care if it's on the road. I don't care if it's in space. It makes absolutely no sense. And if I'm Delaware men's basketball, I'm kind of asking myself, or if I'm any Delaware athletics looking at this, I'm saying, huh, that's what happens when you can control your own fate. That's Football had the opportunity to control their own fate. They yeah, dropped it all. you brought that up too last week. Like, oh, I like Delaware this, I like this team, fate. but you said control their own fates. So I'm a little bit scared now. And now, now they're going to have to rely know. on Hofstra and Charleston and William and Mary and even Northeastern to try and place them in the CAA. It was frustrating. It was, it was a rough weekend. And I was I actually went to go watch Stony Brook play the week this weekend, and I watched Delaware play William and Mary on my phone during that game. On one of the streams that they had, and I was like, "This is ridiculous." There's, I'm angry. <laughs> Any last thoughts on anything we spoke on today? Again, this is Blue End Sports Cage. We're on every Monday, four to five p.m. Thursdays, five to seven. Anything else that we missed on the Super Bowl, or I mean, Delaware basketball? We'll get to more in depth on Thursday, so don't worry about that too much. But anything else that you guys want to bring up on the Super Bowl in our last hundred twenty seconds here? I don't know about Super Bowl. But we were talking football or whatever. There whatever was a there was the Anthony Davis trade that just got another installment to it that I think is as breaking news as breaking news gets. Uh, the Lakers offering Anthony Davis a brand new deal. Parker, do you have it up? I know it was. Yeah. Um. So it leaked today. Um. We're supposed to believe this is true, but who knows for sure. Like, neither team has confirmed it. But apparently, the Lakers' new offer to New Orleans is to give them Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, Brandon Ingram, Rajon Rondo, um, Lance Beasley, and two first-rounders for one Anthony Davis. Take that trade. Anthony Davis is great, but giving them an entire franchise for Anthony Davis, I don't know. (laughs) That is (laughs) <laughs> Who would be left? It would be uh, LeBron, their new big man, the 
the foreign big man. Zubats. Yeah, thank you. Stud. Uh, is that it? Did we? LeBron. Uh, LeBron. Uh, get, we we or dress room. Hart. Hart. Josh Hart, Hart's still there. Yeah, he's him and Zubats are the only two of their young core that would still be left. This is the trade though that the Lakers had to offer, right? Like they started lowballing. Yeah. The Pelicans weren't talking back to them. They wanted to give them like Kuzma or Ball and picks. This is the deal that they had to Absolutely, offer if yeah. they wanted to force the hand of the Pelicans to think about a deal right now. Because as we discussed last Thursday, the Pelicans have every reason to wait till this offseason where they'll know who has the number one overall pick and therefore who has the rights to Lon- to Lonzo Ball to Zion Williamson. And they will also be eligible to trade with the Celtics, who can give them Tatum, among many other enticing things. We'll have more on that on Thursday, as well as Delaware basketball and whatever's left over on the Super Bowl. Thanks for listening. For Jake Lampert, Parker Kerrigan, I'm Brandon Hovick. This has been Blue End Sports Cage for February 4th. We'll be back on Thursday from 5 to 7.